my goodness. Well, it's great to be here. Let me begin by saying I want to express on behalf of all the missionaries how much we appreciate you and your love and care for us. Uh, I am reminded many, many times throughout the year how blessed we are. I think of uh, uh, when our kids were on the field, uh, how special it was to come back here. And they still call Lubbock home. It's where they, even though they really spent very few years of their life here, this is home for them. And uh, so many missionaries, if you don't know, travel thousands and thousands of miles when they come on home assignment. And we were blessed to be able to say, where are we going? Back to Lubbock. Uh, and it has been a wonderful time. We appreciate all of you. I regret there's so many of you I do not know. But I, my prayer has been and continues to be the Lord would get back to you individually, as families, and as a body of believers in multiple ways, the many blessings you have given us. You know, this morning, one of the great blessings I have is, is I travel fairly frequently, and I find that travel is necessary to keep your mind expanded. When I don't travel, my world shrinks, and I find myself kind of surviving. You know, you get to about right there, and you're trying to take care of the kids. You're trying to do all that you have to do in life, and sometimes your world's about that big. That's just about all you can see. And because of my travels, over the last 30 years, I have been blessed to have my mind expanded a lot and to be challenged a lot to think about the world. And really, when you look at today's world, it's a scary place. It's violent. It's chaotic. Uh, it's going places that none of us know where it's going. And to be honest, it is, it's frightening and it's unnerving. And not only is the world changing around us, but it's probably in, uh, coming in and influencing our lives in ways that we never dreamed of. And sometimes it's easy to become so frightened we find ourselves, we are confused, we are angry, we get bitter, uh, because things are changing. I hate the word change, but I could not find a synonym uh, for change. Evolving was the only word I could find, but it is changing, and, and we can get lost in all the chaos. And what I want to remind us of this morning, that in, uh, I remember when we first got to Texas, we got in a dust storm. Uh, Terry, when, first time she moved to Big Spring. Uh, we couldn't see our car 20 feet in front of the house. And, you know, you get in one of those, and it, you can't see anything. And I really feel like it's easy to feel that way today. But if we can get out of that dust storm and get up and see things as God sees it, what I pray this morning is you'll see in all of this chaos, in all of this change, God is doing supernatural things. And my fear is, as it always is for all of us, is that we will not see and be perceptive of what He's doing. Uh, so I pray that the Lord may open our eyes this morning, uh, and our theme is going to be our role as Christ priest in light of the evolving world and needs of missions. We could really say just in light of the evolving world. Um, and before we do that, let's just pray and ask the Lord to speak to us and bless us this morning. Father, we do praise you for who you are. You are God and you are sovereign, and I pray you'd remind us of that. It's so easy to get lost in the midst of illness and tragedy, and change, and the stress of life, we forget that you're sovereign. Remind us of that this morning. Thank you for the ways you bless us, and remind us of how good and gracious you are in both the hard things and the good things. We come with needs, physically, emotionally, spiritually. You know where everyone is this morning. I know there are a lot of people that are carrying a lot of heavy burdens, and in, by the power of your Spirit, I pray you would refresh and renew them. And then I pray, O oh Lord, as we look at the world around us, remind us what it means to be a priest. Uh, open our eyes, O oh Lord, to what you're doing and remind us of that great calling. May we be yielded to it and open to it. And I pray, I guess most of all, Lord, that we won't go out of here how we came in. 
So we put all this in your hands, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to start out with the world and just look at what's going on. We're going to drop down to the U.S., then we're going to drop down to Texas, then we're going to drop down to Lubbock County and the surrounding areas around here just to look at, at some of the change that's going on. Um, and as we begin this morning, really today's world is known as an age of migration. From the beginning of time, the history of man has recorded the movements of people. We see that throughout Scripture. In fact, Scripture uh, tells us, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And really, since the beginning of time, Scripture has recorded all throughout the movements of people doing exactly that. And people migrate for all kinds of reasons, uh, good and bad. Some interesting things, if you look at from 19... uh, 14, uh, excuse me, 1800, 1914, 50 million people migrated to Australia, New Zealand, North and South America. That's amazing when you think about it. And this one's even fascinating too. 1850 to 1945, 35 million people from Europe came to the United States. Uh, And that's why we are predominantly white or Anglo. And I hope that as we start this morning, we will realize we are migrants all of us have roots in different places, and we are living proof, our country is, of the blessing of migrants and immigrants coming to a place. Our nation was born out of that. Um, and the world today, as it has been in the past, people are moving and going about, and the landscape of the world is no longer, I think, defined so much by uh, geographical boundaries as it's much becoming more and more defined by people and cultures. And as I mentioned, migration occurs for many reasons. We see famine, we see war, we see political conflict, we see economic crisis on the negative sides. On the positive sides, people migrate for the hope, economic opportunity, for peace, for freedom of rights, and different things like that. And over the last several months, uh, we, or this past year, we have continued, we have witnessed some of the effects. One of the major reasons people migrate is terrorism. If you remember last year, at the end of last year, we saw a number of tragic things both in Canada and France where there were terroristic acts that slaughtered people. And what we don't realize, that same week that that event happened in France, there were a dozen events across the world in places such as Mali, Pakistan, Lebanon, and Somalia. And in those events, there were over 85 people killed and 186 people wounded. Uh, and yet we were unaware of those things going on. If we extend our time frame outward to include all the 2,000, uh, you'll look at countries like Yemen, Nigeria, the Ukraine, Syria. Tremendous conflict and things going on. People moved about by all of these events. If you look specifically at uh, Nigeria, Boko Haram and Shakal, who's the leader of that group, uh, at the end of the year they slaughtered more than 500 men, women, and children that were unarmed. That war in in Nigeria claimed 20,000 lives. He was also the one, if you remember last year, that kidnapped the 200 schoolgirls, and he proudly boasts of selling women all over the world. Uh, Just this past few weeks, there's been more than a million people displaced internally in in the Ukraine. Uh, We don't have time to begin to talk about all that's going on in the world around us and the violence and chaos that that encompasses. Uh, Millions have been displaced in and without their own countries. And for many ways, we could call this age also the age of the refugee. Uh, As of 2011, there were 42 million people who had been forcibly uprooted and either relocated within their own country or in neighboring countries. Uh, 26 million of those were internally relocated, 
as, uh, for example, there's been a million people uh, uprooted in the Ukraine, but they're still within the country. Out of those 42 million, 16 million became international refugees and seeking asylum. And the biggest tragedy of all of this is that 46% are children. And we live in a time which conflict is becoming pro, uh, 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 prolonged. And often these refugee camps become permanent homes for many of these people. And again, our world is being shaped and reshaped by all of this movement, whether for evil things or for good things. And we need to remember, and I think we are aware of it, when you look at the world, the Western world, which is known often as the first world, uh, all of us are, for the great majority of the world, places of great hope and opportunity compared to what they live. And I believe because of that, we are going to continue to see, as is all the world, the migration of peoples. And we're going to see increasing numbers migrating to our own country. And I want us to take a few minutes. We're going to drop down in the U.S. And we're going to look at some of how migration, immigration, is affecting our own country. The Census Bureau test says we have about 321 million people as of about 2013. It's higher than that now uh, in our country. And we are 63% white. 17% Latino, 13% uh, African-American, 5% Asian, and 2% of a mixture of other racial and eth ethnicities. For the first time in 2011, there were more minority babies born than white babies in our country. This has created six majority minority states now within our country. And when I use that term, that is a state in which the majority population white is less than 50%. So you get the term majority minority. And these six states would be Hawaii, California, New Mexico, Texas, Florida, and of course Washington, D.C. is not a state, but the Census Bureau looks at it as one. And the most insignificant fact, in 2043, we will become a majority, a majority minority nation. And as we move closer to that, we are going to feel and sense what it means to live in a multiracial, multiracial multicultural world, country. Um, now let's move down and we're going to drop down to Texas. We are the second largest state, California having 37 million, bless you, uh, and with uh, Texas having 27 million people. If you look at Texas, we are 44% uh, white compared to 63% in the U.S. We are 38% Latino compared to 17% in the U.S. and we're 12% African American compared to 13% in the U.S. And you look at the big pine, you can see Texas is a majority, minority state, 44% white, and the other racial groups and ethnic groups making up 56% of our state. And we're going to drop down one more, and we're coming down to Lubbock County, which is about 290,000 people. And when you look at Lubbock County, it's 56% white compared to 44 for the state, 34% Latino compared to 38 uh, for the state, and then 8% African-American compared to 12% for the state. And if you look at the region in which you live, it is a majority white population, 56%, with 44% making up the other uh, groups of people. Now, if we back that out just a little bit to look at the surrounding areas, you can see I picked up, uh, I picked up Brownfield, Leveland, uh, Littlefield, Plainview, and Post, just to give you a little bit of an idea. And you can see it is... Uh, 56,000 people, it is 40% white, 54% uh, Latino, and 6% and, uh, African-American. And the interesting thing is, 
you have a majority Latino population in the surrounding areas of Lubbock. Uh, for the present, our country is predominantly white, Latino, and African American. But that is going to continue to change. As more and more groups come in, we're going to see more and more a greater mixture of cultures and ethnicities within the borders of our own country. Uh, if you want to see an interesting site, go to the Wittenstein Center. It's on the internet. It's called, they have a graph called the Global Flow of People. It is absolutely fascinating. Just it shows you where people are coming from and where they're going in the world. It's very interactive. And uh, they own that. They highlight, again, you can pick out the U.S. and you can see where people are coming from, how many are coming. And they've got it blocked out in five-year periods. And I've got some stats I want to read you from 2005 to 2010. They do them in 10-year blocks. I want to share with you, there were about six-plus million people that migrated to the United States. And I want to share with you, just to give you an idea of what kinds of people are coming to our country. From East Asia, we had 3.3 million people. Uh, Southeast Asia, uh, we had about 900,000 people, with the largest being Filipinos, 375,000. Vietnamese, 175,000. East Asia, China, 620,000. South Koreans, 177,000. South Asia, we had over 700,000 Indians and 130,000 people who came from Bangladesh. We had over 100,000 people from the Soviet Union in that time period migrate to the United States. From Europe, we had a million, uh, about 250,000 Italians. We had over 200,000 Spaniards and about 120,000 people coming from the United Kingdom. Over almost just a little under half a million people coming from Africa, predominantly Nigerians and Ethiopians. Uh, and then from Latin America, which was known as the largest group, we had about three and a half million people uh, principally coming from Mexico and Latin America. Excuse me. As we chart this, uh, America, or the United States, continues to be the largest recipients of, of migrants in the world. And this is an interesting, oops, did I go by that? No? Oh, there it is. Uh, the largest, as you can see, out of every 20 people migra migrating in the world, 20 come to the United States. And you look beyond that, it's fascinating. Russia is the second largest with just a little less than six people. And then you have Germany, Saudi Arabia, or excuse me, Germany's 5%, and you have a group at 3%, Saudi Arabia, France, the United Kingdom, and India, also Canada, Spain, and uh, Ukraine underneath that also. Uh, we are by far the largest recipients of migrants in the world. The question is that, what does all this mean? You know, where do we go with that? You know, it all depends on who you're asking. Uh, sometimes it is very, very positive, the answer you'll get. Sometimes it's very, very negative. But I want to, let's just pull some conclusions out of that. When we look at the changes going on in the world around us, many would say, that it relates to the events of the end times, and I would certainly agree with that. I think when you look at the chaos and the wars and the loss of leadership, the shifting boundaries, the greater prominence of religious wars, without a doubt, we do see evidences of the end times. I think another thing is that today's missionaries, men and women, must continue to be men and women of courage as they carry the gospel into a world that is more and more unstable, and they must be willing to sacrifice their lives in doing that. Uh, the most qualified missionaries in today's world are majority world missionaries. Why? Because they have less political baggage. They live in much the same circumstances of the places they go. They know what it's lived uh, to live under oppressive governments. 
And because of that, they have more open doors uh, and they are better equipped. I'm not saying that Westerners are through. Obviously, we are not. But I'm simply saying when you look at the least reached areas of the world, they have the most open doors and will probably be the most effective uh, people in those areas. And as we move back to the U.S., this is where I want us to focus this morning. What does the large numbers of internationals coming to the U.S. imply for us as churches and followers of Christ? And again, I've asked a lot of people, and again, I go from hearing very positive responses to very negative. And for many Americans, there is a growing sense of fear and confusion that what should be done to assure the well-being of our country, and I think we all can sense that. Uh, there's just so much confusion, so much lack of leadership, and certainly our political leaders and parties are divided, uh, even within themselves, as what needs to be done and where and how. Uh, the current debate going on in Washington is intense and reflects all of that. Uh, as followers of Christ, I would hope that we should not fail to see. And this is where we're, we're stepping out of the dust storm, and we need to remember uh, we are serving a sovereign God. But that even though much of what we observe appears chaotic and out of control, God is at work. Hear me on that. God is at work. And Scripture reminds us that He uses everything, everything, even the wicked, to accomplish His purposes. And I was reminded of this verse in Acts. This is where Paul was in Athens, and he's giving the defense to all the philosophers. And I love these verses. And you'll see it says, From one man He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. Listen to this. He decided before Him when they should rise and fall, and He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and to find Him, though He is not far from any of us. God is at work doing exactly that. He is working out the salvation history of mankind. God's plan is His glory through the redemption of mankind. And you know, when you look at our country, I want to remind us, you, we know we possess more biblical resources than any nation in the world. Uh, as evangelicals, we have boldly proclaimed, and, and I am proud of it, that we are committed to reaching the world for Christ. We have given men and women and money and resources to see that happen. Uh, an expression of this commitment has been our commitment to pray. And many of you have prayed years and years that God would expand and deepen the work of reaching the world. Uh, and we affirm that Scripture teaches and we need to remind us that every man and woman of over 7 billion people in this world has been created in the image of God and loved by God. And because of that, I hope that we can say as followers of Christ that even though there is chaos on a level that we've never experienced, that we really don't know what the solutions are, or where we're going, or what it's going to look like when it's all said and done, that we serve a sovereign God and we know He is at work in this and we are committed to living above all the clouds of confusion and fear and looking to Him to see what He is doing and what He would have us to do in that. You know, He's bringing people from all over the globe. And as Doug said the other day, in nations that we can't set a foot in, they're coming to us. Uh, and as they come and study and live among us, we have all the liberties of our country to love them, to come alongside them, to proclaim the gospel and do all those things that in the proper way in time give light and understanding to them regarding uh, the love of Jesus Christ. 
And today, more than any point in our future, you know, there was a time, you realize you have more opportunity to touch the world than our missionaries in Mexico, Central America, and Spain. There are more internationals here than anywhere. I live in much more international ambient than I ever did in Mexico City and Dallas. And you and we are going to have opportunities in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, to literally touch people all over the world. And we haven't spent a dime. And resources and people are such an incredible thing. And God in His sovereignty has brought them here. I have probably my greatest concern, and it always is, is that I will, we will miss what God is doing. And you know, Satan's the master of that. He gets us distracted, and we become sidetracked on the wrong issues, and fearful, and confused. Uh, but that we will miss what he is doing. Uh, and we will not be prepared for all that he's bringing to us. I mean, it's like, paint, paint, uh, we've been praying for a million dollars, and there's gold sitting at the front door, and we don't realize that he's answered our prayers. I really believe what is going on right now is an answer to prayer. Not like I wanted it. Man, it's, it's, it's confusing. I don't know where it's all going, but when I look at the opportunity, I go, my goodness, this is incredible what the Lord is doing. We must see the present for what it is, and we must prepare ourselves for what the future will be. Robert Davies reminds us that for many of us, for many people, the world is full of people whose notion of a satisfactory future is in fact a return to an idealized past. There's always uh, the danger to live in the past. It's safe, uh, and, and we all fight that battle. And then Roger Helen further says the change, dangers of today's church is that 80% of North America is plateaued or in decline because most of them don't know how to handle change or how to engage their culture. Many prefer to dig in and grasp rather than move ahead. What we need are believers in churches that are willing to leave the familiar behind, to walk in all the fogginess and all the confusion as God leads to boldly seek the needed solutions to move in the future. And I don't know what those are. I don't have any idea. I simply know God does, and we walk with God. We have His Spirit, and we can believe Him for that. And I also know the greatest battle in all this, it's a spiritual battle whether it's dealing with me and, and, and being willing to receive those that think and act and look differently, or, or as, and, and in their ability to understand who Christ is, it is all a work of the Spirit. So it is a spiritual work that is before us, and we are God's church. That is our task. And only God has the power to change my heart, to change your heart, and to change their hearts. My prayer this morning is that God would simply open us our eyes to that reality. He's doing a lot of stuff, and no matter where you're at this morning, you may be, again, frustrated or angered or fearful. If we could just come to the point and say, Lord, there's a lot going on out here, and I don't understand it, I don't like it, I don't feel equipped for it, but you are God. Would you allow me to see things as you see them, and would you prepare me for what you want me to do? That's, that's, that's where it all begins, just simply that, and I believe with all my heart, and all the different contexts in which we live, God will speak to us, and he will use us. And you know, I'm convinced that Satan wants to take what's going on right now, and he wants to rip our nation to shreds. I think we have a greater potential than ever for to be divided along racial, cultural, religious, political lines than we've ever seen in the history of our nation. Uh, and what better way to eliminate us than tear us apart from the inside out? He's the master, Satan is, of creating confusion and division. 
Uh, when we look at 9-11 and we look at what happened in France, one of our greatest battles are going to be extremists, whether they are setting bombs, whether they are talking politically, whether they are talking about their, the preservation of culture or, or whatever, they will continue to challenge us in our desire to live and to walk together and to love one another. And that will be true all over the world. Um, and we must look to God uh, if we want to be a, a country of uh, people that, that live and walk together and love each other. Uh, again, fear and, the fear and, and uh, conflict created has the ability to tear us from one end to the other. I believe we're at a point where we need to focus, we never have, in preparing the church here in America, each of us as individuals, to live in this world that's before us. And it's scary, but at the same time, when does God work greatest? I always said I love being in Mexico City because it was the stresses and the, and the, and the danger and the chaos that brought people to Christ. And that's where we are now. The Lord is creating an ambient that is full of stress and confusion and conflict that His Spirit might move in ways that we've never seen. Uh, you know, we have been known as a melting pot, and we are quickly becoming a, mel uh, a, a beast. You know, America used to be a place where we could come, and we would build a culture that, we would, that would become reflective of all the unique values and elements of the cultures that formed our country. But if you'll look at our country now, we're seeing more and more of isolated enclaves of ethnicities and racial groups, and we're beginning to see ourselves separated and pulled apart. And if that doesn't change, the country we love and know will cease to exist. You know, when you look at solutions, the Bible itself reminds us, you know what? None of this is new. It's new for us, not new in Scripture. Uh, it was, new, it was uh, much the realities when Christ walked the earth, and it was the realities before He walked the earth. Uh, and I'm grateful that Scripture provides answers to the questions that we have. And I want to look briefly uh, if you aren't there and you want to turn there, turn to 1 Peter. We're going to look at a few selected verses around there. And 1 Peter fits our context. Uh, if you remember there, the church had been dispersed. And we look at 1 Peter 1 and 2 and you'll get the context here. He says, this is a letter from Peter. And it says, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners, in an interesting word, in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We know that they had been dispersed, and they were living in what today are areas of modern Turkey, and they were despised for their religious beliefs and for the fact they were simply foreigners. Uh, Peter goes on, and, and those of us, um, I don't know how many of you have had a chance, but there is, you need to live as a foreigner somewhere. It is a very unique feeling. You know you don't belong. Uh, you know you don't fit. You know you don't have the rights of the citizens. And it is often a very difficult place to find yourself. And I pray that as we look at this, may the Lord teach us how we might be receptive of those who come and are foreigners among us. And he goes on to talk about some of the difficulties in, in uh, verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, Dear friends, I warn you, I had this on my visa, temporary resident, and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. 
these believers were living as a, basically as a uh, uh, disenfranchised element of the world in which they lived. Uh, they were probably seen by most as basically being immigrants, illegals, not worthy of opportunity. Uh, and most people probably said they're destroying our culture and our values and traditions with new ideas and new foods and new everything. And uh, you know what? Know something? That's exactly what they were doing. When you think about it, they were preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ with all its transforming power, and they were changing that culture. When I travel across uh, Latin America, I pray that God might transform lives, and I pray for transformed cultures. I do not pray for a Western culture or North American culture or even a Latin culture. I believe what we need to pray for is that whatever the culture looks like, it will be biblically based. If we want to be a positive influence in a multicultural nation, we have to distinguish between our cultural values, preferences, and traditions from biblical principles. I hope we realize what has made our nation great is not our culture or traditions or values. It is the biblical principles upon which those things have been based and have been brought out of. We need to always remember that. That's the basis of everything. And our first priority is we work to see a nation remain strong should be influencing every element of society we can that it be biblical in whatever the culture, whatever the political system. Do everything within our power to assure that it has biblical principles upon which it is based. And I believe the... the, uh, danger and the temptation is is to make the central battle a war over cultural culture and racial differences or political differences uh, and, and the end of declaring one better than another and or others and then imposing that one upon all the rest that is a lose lose battle um, my concern is that whatever the culture is whatever we look like i believe the health and the well-being of our nation depends upon the degree that whatever that is, is does it or does it not have a biblical foundation? If you take that away, I don't care whether it's green, purple, or yellow, it's not going to be good for us or our nation or anyone else. And I pray that as Christ church, I believe more than any point in our time, we have a role that's more important, I think, than, than I think this is a point in our history that's going to be a key point. Did the church stand up and live above these things and carry forth the Word of God, and the love of Christ. Let's move on to a couple of questions I want to ask real quickly. You know, it's a good question. Why should I concern myself? I mean, I'm the person here. This is my country. Why should I extend myself to understand and value and embrace? Why don't I just tell them you're here, you need to learn English, you need to understand who I am, and that's it. Uh, Peter answers this real quickly in two verses. And there they are. Uh, it says, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the enduring word of God, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Why do we do this? We've been saved. We've known the love of God. We know the richness of what it is to walk in Christ. And therefore, we are bound by that love. And by I mean bound, I hope moved, not pushed, not obligated, but it, we are moved within our hearts to give what has been given to us. And it is the only motivation, the only one that's sufficiently strong enough to deal with our brokenness, our selfishness, our prejudices. Um, and we love because he first loved us. Oops, I did that one good. 
Um, this is a great verse. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Uh, and that's, we know that's true. How can we not give what we have been given so freely to those that need it so desperately? And Ephesians 5.1 is another one of my favorite verses that explains a little bit more what does this love look like. And it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We pursue and walk and live for God because of love. That's the only lasting motivation. Not guilt or not a desire to simply succeed. And you know what? God doesn't love us because of what we do. He loves us because He chose an eternity past to love us. He sent Christ as an evidence of that love, and He died that we might have a way to have a relationship with Him. And there's nothing that we can do that will ever increase or diminish his love. And we walk in love in the same way, we should walk in love in the same way that he does. We're to give ourselves as he gave himself for us. And in doing that, we can become, if we want to, a fragrant um, offering and sacrifice to God that will be pleasing to him and a fragrant aroma to those who come and live among us. And I believe if we ever understand this, even though it's hard, the love of God is the great motivator. I don't care. Once we understand that, it will move us and cause us to walk as he walked. Another question is, what must I do uh, to be a blessing to those around me or another culture? And you, you know, we always think I need to learn a lot of things. The most important thing that needs to be prepared is my heart and your heart. If that's where it needs to be, the rest of it. You know, love is a universal language, and if you've traveled around the world, you know that. I've seen people butcher languages, but they love people, and people could feel that, and you thought they spoke whatever language it was, perfectly. Uh, we need to love those around us. In doing so, we need to examine ourselves. Uh, as he says, so get rid of all evil behavior, be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Simply, we need to walk in the power of the Spirit. Be willing to let go of those things that we know that are dishonoring to God. Uh, and we must understand and embrace the call to holiness. And you know all holiness means is giving all you know about yourself, to, all you know about God, of your time and your talents and your treasures, giving the best of that to God. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about the positive aspect is focusing on the new man, that we might crave for pure spiritual milk, that we might grow in the experience of salvation and cry out for nourishment. And that's an imperative simply reminding us that we need to be spiritual men and women. And then the last question is this one. What qualification or right do I have? That's a big issue in today's world. And we need to be careful not to assume responsibility for things that are not mine to fix. I need to be sure that when I say I can do something, I'm qualified to do that. And Peter has clearly answered those two questions. In verse 5, he reminds us that he says, Come and like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house for a holy, dedicated priesthood to offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. We are His priest. Greatest, one of the greatest truths that we need to possess as believers, we are His priest, all of us. Uh, whether you are teachers or doctors or lawyers or carpenters, He has called us, and we have that great, great privilege. And then He goes on to say in the, in the last couple of verses, but you're not like that, for you are chosen people. In other words, we didn't reject Him. We have been chosen. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, uh, God's own possession. As a result, listen to that, you can show the goodness, others, the goodness of God. Why? 
because you've called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. We are called to live holy lives. That means simply nothing more, nothing less, giving our best to God. We are called to proclaim his goodness. And we're equipped to do that because we've been saved from slavery and the sin of darkness. Who's better qualified than us to explain why someone needs the gospel? And we have the opportunity to live lives not that are historical, but that are eternal in their impact. I can think uh, on my part of nothing more significant than to live a life that has an eternal impact. And the call to live beyond ourselves and the differences of other people is a God-sized challenge. It's a work of the Spirit. And I always prefer to start with your needs and everyone else's need, but I know that this is my greatest point of need in my life. It's right there. And I know that if my life is what it needs to be, the church will be what it needs to be. And you know, I don't know where your heart is this morning, but I challenge you simply... May God allow us to just simply say, Lord, let me see what you are doing. Let me live above the fear and the conflict and confusion. And whether you are angered or fearful or confused, just might you say, Lord, you're you're God. Do what you need to do in my life that I might live in a way that others can come to know you. You know what the Lord showed me that if I am to, uh, uh, well, let me say this, I've I've served in our military, I've lived out of our country, and I value it. I've lived a while in life, and I'm egotistical enough to think I know some of the things that we need to do to make our country look good and and to be a a healthy, happy place for our families. But the Lord has shown me that if I'm to biblically love people who think differently, eat differently, dress differently, have different values, I cannot enter in those relationships while I have a clenched hand on what I want them to be and what I need things to be. Our greatest single priority is to love them as Christ would. And I love this verse. It says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And I'm convinced that if we do that, our nation will be, uh, we will have the greatest opportunity to continue to have a nation that we love and value And it's a place that we're glad we are and we enjoy living here. As you finish this morning, you know, you might be saying, this is great, but man, I mean, I am. I am right here. And I've told, talking to uh, uh, Todd the other day, that often I think a message, you're under a pile of rocks and you come on a Sunday morning and we get up here on the pulpit and we just grab one more rock and we go, take that. Uh, I think guilt is destroying the church and it grieves me that people come and they leave discouraged. That's not what God wants. Uh, and I don't, I don't know your circumstances, but again, I want to remind you, God does. He knows what you're capable of and what you need to do and don't need to do, what needs to change in your heart and what doesn't. And I want to remind us of a promise again that Peter gives us out of 2 Peter 1.3. It says this, for his divine power, that's all the power of heaven, has bestowed upon us what all things, all things, everything we need that are requisite or required and suited to life and godliness or holiness, now, this is the catcher through the full knowledge, personal, full personal knowledge of him who has called us by and to his own glory and excellence. Uh, he has promised to give all that we need. And it all begins right there. Do we or don't we walk with him? Uh, and uh, 
I want to challenge us all to just simply leave here with that commitment. You can forget everything else I said, uh, but might you leave here, if nothing else, Lord, I want to walk with you so that in time I can see maybe some of the things we talked about this morning. Uh, but, but I hope that we desire to spend time with him. I hope that we make time for him. And my greatest battle is when I'm with him, am I focused? Boy, I battle. Uh, I'll have a, quote, quiet time in my mind in a thousand places. And I'm reminded of these words, and this will be our final thought. Uh, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the, the thing that I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. And when you study the life of David and look at all the, I mean, he had a pretty dysfunctional life, but he was God's man because of that. And that reminds me that no matter how broken we are or how confused our lives are, that's where, it, again, that's where it all starts and begins. And he's the one that has the wisdom, and again, to understand all the demands of life, all about who we are and who we aren't, to help us know how to realign our lives so that we might live and have a life of eternal impact. So don't leave here discouraged. Leave here encouraged. And again, my challenge is, is that as you spend time with him, simply take that first step. Lord, help me to see as you see. And then do whatever it is you need to do that I might walk so that you can use me. And I want to remind you of two final things. As you pray through that, think about two things. When you look in your neighborhood, do you ever stop and look at who's around you? I believe that the people we live among and ever thought, Lord, what are you doing? Would you allow me to see right here where I live? What are you doing in the families around me? And I know that I am a part of your plan. What would you have me as your priest? What would my role be in that? And the second greatest place of influence is where you work. Uh, as you look around, all those people, some of them you've been with forever, you've prayed for them, you think they're never going to change. But ask God, Lord, what are you doing? And allow me to see that. And then I pray you would give me the opportunity and you would make me so that I might be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, these are really incredible days in which we live. Um, it's hard to describe how rapidly, uh, how much difference there is from one day to the next, from one hour to the next hour. And I confess there are times I am worn out. I'm angered. I'm confused. I'm fearful. Uh, I can go on and on about what comes through my mind and heart on days. And I realize, oh Lord, I'm trapped in the mire and the mud and the dust storm. And God, I pray you would lift us all on a daily basis out of all that. As Scripture says, you might set our, our hinds feet on high places that we might see who you are. And we might realize that in all of that, you are sovereign and you are working. And you choose when nations rise and fall and when kingdoms come and go and kings come and go. And you've called us here for this time here and now. And may we simply be willing to say, Lord, again, you know where I'm at and all that's going on. Use me in all of this to bring glory to you and others to know and of the love of Jesus Christ. Give us grace not to fear, but to love the millions who are coming and will continue to come America, to America I thank you, they're attracted. There's so many places. They, I think out of all the places in the world, they want to come here. Boy, what a compliment uh, to our nation, to our culture, to the values and things that we have. And may you teach us how to receive people and love them. And then I pray, Lord, as we go, give us a hunger for you that we may 
walk with you and learn to know what it is to listen to you. Uh, and again, we can't do that alone. Do it in us. And again, Lord, uh, go with us as we leave and bless us each and give us grace for the, this day and the week before us. And we love you and we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. We are dismissed. Thank you.